Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. What I'd like to do first is uh, call upon Donna Brown, who is the committee chair for the Burl Cawley Leadership Training, for a few words of introduction. Donna? Thank you, Pam. Uh, good morning, everyone. Greetings for those of us who are here in Omaha, and thank you all for joining us on Zoom. And for people on ACB Media, I am the co-chair of the Burl Cawley Leadership Institute uh, Committee. And um, so, uh, again, I want to welcome everyone, and I'd like to introduce the co-chair of the Burl Cawley Leadership Committee, and we're passing the microphone. I have to introduce myself. <laughs> I'm Julie Brandon, and I very much enjoyed being on this committee with Donna and all the wonderful members. Uh, you probably heard a lot of, I'm losing my voice, that's not good. You probably have a lot, of, heard a lot of our trainings in the past, so thank you for coming. Okay, just, just real quick, um, I want to go through our, our committee, and boy, I hope I don't leave anybody out, but I don't think I will. So I'm Donna Brown from West Virginia, Julie's from Washington. <laughs> uh, we have Belinda Collins from North Carolina, Doug Powell from Virginia, Ray Racer from, I don't know, Washington DC slash Maryland, I'm not quite sure. Um, we have uh, Pam Shaw from Pennsylvania, who you're gonna hear from in a little bit, Matt Selm from Kentucky, Ray Campbell from Illinois. Um, we have Artist Basin from, and it's, this is a funny name, so get ready, use your imagination here. Colorado. Yeah, so anyway, you figure that out. Um, and, and then Jeff Tom from California as well. And our staff uh, person is Cindy Hollis. And as, as Julie mentioned, we do have monthly trainings the second Thursday of each month at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern. And it, it's on the ACB community events listed. Each month is a different topic, so we're hoping people can join us then. So I'm going to turn it over to Pam Shaw now. Thank you, and good morning. Uh, it's really a pleasure to be here with you. I'm going to start from the beginning and letting you know that we had had a program plan, but due to circumstances beyond our control, our keynote speaker is not able to join us. And when I shared that with the with Donna, the first thing out of her mouth was, Pam, you're on. So we're going to do the best we can to spend some quality time with you and sharing from our topic. In addition to myself, there are several people who have volunteered to help out uh, with this presentation this morning. And I want to make sure that they are in the room and we know who they are. That is Artis Bazin, Jeff Tom, Julie Brannon, and Matt Selm is joining us on Zoom. So thank you for agreeing to help out. Let's just go ahead and jump right in. The theme for our program this year, both sessions, is diversity, equity, and inclusion, more than just words. And as that name implies, we want to get beyond the philosophy of it all, get more into the practice, and also even provide you with some different things to think about on this journey to the dialogue that we have on this particular topic. And when we think about these topics and bringing them in so that we can talk, one of the first things we do, we talk about ground rules. 
But before we even get there, we just want to share with you the idea that we want to move from the concept of safe space to what we will be calling brave spaces. So it's from safe spaces to brave spaces and a new way to frame dialogue around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Well, one of the first things, as I was about to say, is we like to start with ground rules or guidelines for these types of discussion. And, and even to handle our behavior, we consider ground rules as foundational to any time we're talking about the DEI. And I'd rather use DEI this morning because it's just a little shorter. And as leaders, as facilitators, we expect that any process, any type of discussion that we have, that these ground rules will help to foster a learning environment that allows everyone to engage with one another on some very controversial issues. But we want to engage with honesty, sensitivity, and respect. I want you to hold on to those three words this morning, honesty, sensitivity, and respect. And we often describe such environments as safe spaces. This is a terminology that we want to use to reassure anybody who participates in these discussions. We want to reassure them that they need not be anxious about sharing their thoughts and feelings regarding these sensitive and frankly controversial issues. But the question for us should be today, to what extent can we promise the kind of safety, um, it's the kind of safety that people should expect from us. We have found, actually, those of us who've worked in this, that there's an increasing regularity that participants uh, invoke to protect the common ground rules associated with the idea of safe spaces when the dialogue moves from being just polite the provocative. And what we are concerned about is that we don't just shut it up or shut it down. There is a common theme that we've also seen, that it means that when people feel unsafe, they no longer feel comfortable. Or when certain things come up, they no longer feel comfortable. Therefore, they equate that with being unsafe. And so the first thing that I want to do is ask those who have um, decided to participate and help us out with this morning is a very quick question. Um, if I'm at a, a place like a bus terminal and someone comes near me and starts sounding like they're a little, um, like they have some mental issues, I might feel unsafe as well as uncomfortable. But if I'm in a situation where somebody's, you know, just um, talking loudly and making me feel uncomfortable, but I don't think they would hurt me, then I'm, I don't feel unsafe. So it kind of depends on the situation. But I, I know it has happened to me, mostly when I'm in a place where I can't leave and go someplace else, I have to stay there. Thanks. Thank you. And if I'm using the right alphabet, <laughs> Jeff should be next. Okay, so when I'm, and we'll limit it to the sort of situation where 
we're talking, we're dialoguing with somebody. And I don't think it's a feeling so much of, of unsafe, being unsafe as, as it is a feeling like I'm gonna lose something, whether it's that person's respect or that person's friendship, whoever it might be, but a, a feeling of almost sadness and, and a loss of control over what I value, I guess I'd say. I think Julie's Thank next. Thank you. Okay, thanks. I am next right now. Okay. Um, you know, I was going to say the exact same thing Jeff did. When I think I'm unsafe, I wasn't thinking physical. I was thinking more emotional. And what I've noted particularly, if I'm in a group of all-sided people, and like Jeff said, if you start noticing they're talking around you, if you start noticing they're not facing you when they're talking, that happens a lot because I think it's lack of eye contact. I don't really either like Jeff feel unsafe. I feel excluded. I realize that my confidence changes. And that's when I realize, I guess you could call it unsafe, but it's a confidence issue. And um, there's more education that needs to be done. And I just love, I want to say one thing. When I think of the D in DEI, and often this isn't spoken about, I consider D for diversity. I, excuse me, for disability. Thanks. Got you. Thanks a lot. And Matt? Yes, ma'am. Good morning to those in Omaha. Hope everybody had plenty of coffee. Um, I, I also, you know, share that oftentimes unsafe, we think of our, our physical safety and, you know, just to try to bring a different perspective. Um, I think sometimes, especially with sensitive topics or extremely sensitive issues for some folks, you know, those often can, even though they're physically safe, those things can often manifest in uh, anxiety and, um, you know, re-memorization of, of, of past trauma. And I think sometimes we, uh, we may not always remember those things depending upon what's being discussed um personally speaking you know i don't i i kind of share with everyone else that you know i don't like being uncomfortable uh, but i don't certainly have any fears of my physical safety um you know just kind of what what jeff shared i think sometimes there's a fear that sharing one's uh honest opinion could lead to you know, isolation or, you know, some unanticipated negative uh, consequence. So thank you. Well, well, thank you to all of you um, for that. And, and I think it really points out that there can be a connection, but it really ultimately will depend on how you, how you review it. And also noting that you pointed out that different circumstances will promote different things because naturally, when we feel unsafe, we will tend to take certain defensive actions. We could discount what's making us feel unsafe as, oh, it's not real. We could try to deflect it or even retreat from the challenge. And when we're having discussions on serious issues, it may be that innocently, innocently, we are interfering with um, you know, good and open discussion. 
One of the things, and, and we don't want to hinder the discussion, we want it to move forward, but we as human beings naturally want to be comfortable. But one of the things that we have found is that there can be a change just by thinking about what we call it. We call it a safe space. I don't know how many times we have used that language, or if we didn't use that exact term, we used language that implied that. Um, you know, it, it's increasingly interesting to note that our approach to talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, dialogue, it, it really should not be to convince people that we can remove risk from the equation, from the discussion. But if you think about it, because frankly, that's impossible. How can we talk about anything that's challenging or perhaps even controversial with taking some risks? But maybe we could choose to revise our language so that we shift away from the concept of safety. And what we would do is emphasize the importance of bravery instead. That way we can help each other to better understand frankly, is to the challenges of genuine dialogue on diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's part of what we're going to talk about today. Um, so the one of the things that we need to do, and I'm going to be asking you about this in a bit, is how do we define and even reconstruct safe space? Here's one describe one description of a vision of safe space as it relates to diversity and, and equity and inclusion. And here's one of them I like. Um, safe space has been described as an environment in which people are willing and able to participate and honestly struggle with challenging issues. I'd like to ask you to share what your definition of a safe space would be. What does it mean to you, particularly in the context of discussing issues such as diversity, equity, and inclusion? So since we started with F, artists the last time, we're going to go to the next letter, and this time we're going to start with Jeff. So I guess, that's a Man, why are you giving us such tough questions? Because <laughs> <laughs> I knew you could handle it. <laughs> I guess for me, trying to be in a safe space is depersonalizing the dialogue to the extent that it becomes reasonably clear that you're trying to talk about attitudes, perceptions, things like that, rather than labels of an individual, so that it gives the individual a chance to think of where you're coming from, rather than a filter going up. Um, oh, I'm not that, or you're not this, or whatever. I guess that gets, at least to some degree, promotes safety for me. Thank you. As I was listening to Jeff and thinking about it, safe space, there's two things. If I'm going in, what I've learned to do, if I'm going into a situation where I think there might be a lack of emotional safety, I can ready myself, and I've learned to do that as I've um, gained age, <laughs> ready myself and get the right attitude before I go in. 
and, and that's really very important. Sometimes I ready myself and I don't need to, everything's fine. But I learned to really be more prepared and more going with more confidence. Another thing when I think about safe space is not just me being in that, but me creating that for people. That's a different aspect. And I need to, I really try and watch myself and say, am I creating an unsafe space for other people? So I see those two aspects, being in an unsafe space and the creation of it. Thanks. Pam, can I, can I get a repeat of the question? Sure, the question is just asking you, what your, what is your definition of a safe space? I mean, I tend to think of safe spaces as places where folks can be genuine and accepted for themselves and who they, who they are. That's, that's kind of how I think about it. Although flipping the context a little bit to creating a brave space to talk about a difficult issue, mm -hmm. I, I think is an, an entirely, um, it, it just, it requires some, some different ground rules upon, upon entry. So. Thanks. Artist. Okay. I guess my biggest strategy is I try to be prepared in advance. When I go into a situation, I think of all the things that could happen. And if I have the plans in place, then generally I feel safe. Whereas if I go to a place and I don't have any thoughts in mind, then I can quickly feel very uncomfortable. So like this morning, you know, it was a new situation. And so I had my mindset that no matter what happened, I was going to be okay with it. And mm -hmm. I think if you plan for what you think is going to happen, I think it really helps you in the long run. Thanks. Thanks. So here's something to think about in looking at this, that when people start talking about safe space, just as all of you did, think about this. And, and I like this in a way because this I found helpful to let me know, going back to what you said, artists, what people might be afraid of or might be concerned about. So what we want that safe space to be is an environment with, where everyone feels comfortable expressing themselves and participating fully without, okay, these are the withouts. Here's one of them, fear of attack. There's nothing worse to be having a dialogue and, and have someone attack you for what you say or what you think or what you don't say. The second one was ridicule, the idea of being laughed at or even the denial of experience. And if you do share something, someone might say, well, that's not how I felt or that's not how I see it. And I think to bring it home to those of us um, here today, I think we would agree that many times, and I'm just sorry to say it, we lean towards denying each other's experience, even when it comes to blindness and visual impairment. And so that can cause people to not want to participate or to feel that it is a safe space with them. But here's the real truth is that when we come together, we're still going to always need some guidelines to help people to feel a sense of trust and safety. 
And we need to remember, for those of us who facilitate and participate in discussions of diversity, equity, and inclusion, we actually have a responsibility to foster an environment that supports people in the challenging work of authentic engagement with regard to issues of identity, oppression, power, and even privilege. There are times when these things come up and they are difficult for us, but if we're going to accomplish anything, we cannot bypass this idea of trust and safety. Otherwise, what we get is what was said earlier. We'll have some polite conversations, but we're not able to go in, in deeper and really to bring some things out. And as was said earlier, they are not necessarily easy things to talk about, but there's great value in touching upon these issues in a space as well as ensuring um, that we do kind of set, set expectations. And these expectations in our discussions are simply the ground rules. But we have to be careful that when we set the ground rules, we don't do it in a way that's going to stifle discussion or when certain things come up. How will we react so that the discussion can continue? And again, on some very difficult conversations. However, here's the question for us this morning as we think about and explore an exploration of another alternative. Well, it's the degree to which safety is an appropriate or reasonable expectation for any, dia any honest dialogue about diversity, equity, inclusion. Let me say that again, because here's sort of a question. Is safety an appropriate or reasonable expectation for any honest dialogue about topics particularly this morning, we're focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, to the group, anytime you hear me say question, like perk up your ears, okay, because <laughs> it's coming. And so here is the question. Do you think it is reasonable to offer, or can we really offer or remove um, the risk that come with having these types of discussions? So I think this time, go ahead, Matt. <laughs> All right, that's fine. I can, I, I'm happy to go first. And I, I think the answer to your question is, I don't think so. I think that entering into any sort of a difficult discussion, you have to assume some risk. Uh, otherwise, how how are we going to, change and grow so i don't i don't think so okay all right next will be artists i agree with matt um we have to be willing to grow and change and according to whatever situation we're in and if we're willing to adapt then we're much more likely to accept uh, people where they are um, mm. what um setting you're in Thanks, Jeff. Nothing ventured, nothing gained, so to speak. <laughs> but I'm willing to let your mind uh, question itself after others question you, 
then you're just going to be right back where you started. And Julie. All right. You know, um, I think it's okay to expect safety if you can, but you can't have that much control. Frankly, you just don't. You don't have control over other people. But I do think you as a person in a situation, and I think Jeff said this earlier, focus on the topic and not the person. Mm. Never attack the person, attack the topic. And so I think that can help with safety tremendously. Sometimes, as you know, when you're talking to someone who totally disagrees with you, you can start wanting to attack the person, but don't. Mm. Thanks, thanks. Well, we've just heard the wisdom of the ages because here's what most people said in response to what, and it's very much in my view, says what you just said. The authentic discussion about diversity, equity, and inclusion often requires the very qualities of risk, the very qualities of what some of us might feel as a lack of safety. And one of those is risk itself. To get into that discussion, frankly, it's risky business. You will find yourself in those times when even from a facilitator's standpoint, you know that you're in some shaky ground. So there is risk. There's always risk. Here's something else. These discussions are often difficult. It's not easy to have these types of discussions, especially if you're not used to it. Some of us uh, grew up in settings where there were just certain things you didn't talk about or you don't say or you don't think about. And it's difficult to be in an environment where you're going to be expected to do this. The other thing is, in order for us to have this kind of conversation, we can expect divert, we can expect controversy. We can really expect it. It's, it's just not necessarily in and of itself a safe environment. And could it be by telling people that it is, we hinder them in the discussions because they come already prepared to know that they will be able to avoid certain types of challenges? And so it's just something for us to think about because they're, un and let's be very clear, they are unavoidable in this type of discussion. It's not a matter of going in there with your fist balled up or ready to fight, but the nature of the topic requires some risk and some thinking about ourselves and how we um, would differ from others in terms of how they see things, and best specifically around diversity, equity, and inclusion. There also, there's also another kind of emotional component to think about, because often these, emo these topics bring about emotions. They can bring, one of them is often anger. And I don't know about you, but I don't like all that, but I had to learn that it's possibly going to be there. Because what we don't want people to do is to really keep it inside and never talk about what it really means or how they mean it. And as facilitators, part of what we're doing is asking them the question or helping them to handle some of these things. And, and I know that even more and more, um, as we have these discussions, they're coming out publicly and they're on the news, many of us are having to face up to some things that really do challenge us in the way we think. Okay, so, so in terms of thinking about 
safety, as I said before, we don't want to hinder people by our efforts, and that is simply relying on the tra traditional language of safe space. What about the idea of one of the changes we might be able to make is a very small but important linguistic shift from talking about a safe space to a brave space. We already know that there are what one author calls thorny questions that we often have to deal with because increasingly it, for us, our approach to initiating this quality dialogue should not be to convince people that we can remove risk from the equation. But I think it's more because we recognize that that's impossible. But what we can do is help people to listen better, to have a healthier exchange of ideas and information. We can change our language so that we're moving away from the concept of safety. And here's the alternative, emphasizing the importance of bravery. Because I believe we just don't say to people, don't do this and don't do that. We've got to give people an alternative. So I'm going to ask you as we begin to look at it to my panel, and you're doing a great job, thank you, because you didn't get these questions in advance, okay, to what are your thoughts on what does it mean to be brave? Now, we've talked about safety, but when we get into the bravery side of having these conversations, what does that basically mean to you? So, artists, what is being brave in these kinds of conversations? What would it look like for you? I guess brave would be uh, going forward, even though we know it's going to be uh, an uncomfortable position. So mm. go with the tone in mind that uh, we can deal with it, be positive, and um, move forward and not go into it um, with a negative frame of mind. Gotcha. Thanks. Next to artist should be Jeff. So I guess <clears throat> I like what Barbara said. I guess the only thing I'd add to that is a truly brave space would be where both, if it's a conversation, both participants um, would be equally willing to um, try to allow anything on their minds to be said without, you know, repercussions to the other, so they could keep that interchange going, and that would be mutually brave space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mutually brave space. Thanks for that. Julie. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was just thinking, if you were in the minority and you have a minority opinion from other people around you, sometimes to get in that brave space, you need to realize you have a right to express your opinions. Mm. <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyway, that's just what I was thinking. How do I get brave? And much of that really is self-talk and saying, even though I'm in minority on my opinion, I was much right as the other person that I thought. Got you, got you, got you. Thank you. And Matt? So what do I believe that a brave space looks like? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think it starts with, as an individual, we have to close our mouth and open our ears and understand mm -hmm. someone else's perspective 
even though we may not agree, I think understanding is a good and listening being, being an, an attentive, active listener is a good first step. And, you know, recognizing that we're all trying to get to a same place of at least initially achieving some better understanding of, of one another. Mm-hmm. So I think that's always a good start. Thanks. And that is a good start. That's a great start. Because if we're going to look at this, first of all, we've already said that one of the things we know we want to do is change our language so that it isn't that we're going to take away the safety, but it's we're going to help people to have that kind of courage to bring it out. And as was already said, you know, one of the things that when we look at this is we are going to have to increasingly focus on our listening skills. Because I don't know about you, but so often we will respond to something before we've even given, had the opportunity to consider what's being said. And that's one of the ways that, um, you, you know, facilitators, I think, can help. So, okay, let's, let's dive a deeper, deeper into this idea of a brave space. Again, we said it's an alternative to facilitating around safe space to brave space. And again, we say it's an alternative to that, even that safe space paradigm, because remember what we said, that it may be just unreal, the idea of no risk in a difficult, challenging situation. So do we give it up? Do we keep forcing the issues or what can we do? All right. So we've already also said that one thing is no matter what, there really should be ground rules. And there are all kinds of ways that as facilitators, we can come up with ground rules. Sometimes people come in and they have some rules and they say to the group, these are the rules and we expect everyone who participates to abide by them. Another one is to get them actively involved in saying, what rules do you think we should have in order for this to be a brave space? I've heard the question also asked is, what will make you feel comfortable and confident and being brave in the way we share today. Because no matter whether we like it or not, brave, bravery is needed. It is needed. And if we don't do it, as we said earlier, with that sense of bravery, the reality is that we won't go any deeper. And if we keep saying to people, be brave, be safe, we could be assisting them in not achieving their desired goals. Okay, but here, here is really one of the things to think about is that it's more than just risk. It's more than just the issue of risk as we move to brave space, but it's having to confront the reality that being in a brave space may cause us to have to go through the pain of giving up a former condition, a former way of thinking in a new way of seeing things. And so one of the things we have found that some of our rules, we have to look at them carefully and see, do they really help? Okay, so when we start looking as, and we get to coming together, we said we would change the language, but here's something to think about. Rule number one, 
when we get together in difficult conversations that many of us will lean towards is let's agree to disagree. Now, at first value, face value, that sounds like a good rule. Let's agree to disagree. But do we really want to agree to disagree? Or can we move to a point where let's talk deeper and think about this? Because one of the good things, and people use this all the time, including me, when I want to get out of a discussion that I feel is going nowhere, I'll say it. Well, let's agree to disagree and move on. But what have I really done? Have I shielded myself from confronting the reality that I'm in something that's making me comfortable? And maybe what I need to do instead of shutting it down is maybe what I can do is say, let's talk further. And as was said earlier, move on from trying to convince somebody to come to my side or them trying to convince me to come to their side is just say something. You could say something. You know what? Out of respect, out of respect, I hear you. I just want you to know that I see the world differently. Or, and this has happened too after listening to someone, you might be able to say something like, I've heard what you have to say. Here's where I am on the matter. And then thank the person from listening. Because sometimes it does take the anger. It does take the raised voices. It does think, take thinking about the difference. It does think, take realizing that we, meaning me, you and me, we are not always right. And there's not only one way to do something. But I have a question for my panelists. So let's say that you are the facilitator, if any, and by the way, we're not discounting anything. What do you believe that you have found are some of the best ground rules that help when we have to talk about difficult topics? And we shall start. Who's up this time? Jeff first? You can go ahead, Jeff. Can you repeat the question? Sure. So here's the question. What ground rules do you find that are helpful in situations where we need to be talking about something that's kind of challenging, such as diversity, equity, and inclusion? So I'm not quite sure how the ground rules should be laid out, but okay. But, but I think that it's important that people know that the goal of the discussion is not to disrespect the participants, but to challenge attitudes and ideas. And so the goal is, so try not to disrespect the people with whom you are talking. Maybe that would okay. be the oh. Thanks. Julie. One thing, it depends on how personal the conversations are. I always tell people, especially if they're a group that's going to meet outside of this discussion, everything said here is confidential. I think that's very important for starting that mm. and it allows more risk or, you know, to happen. But the other thing I want to say is I, I facilitated before when people are hot and have strong opinions, most of the time they don't let that person finish their sentence. And so what I have said to people, let the person finish what they're saying. And if you're not sure, you can ask them, are you done? Because so many times interruptions happen and no one is listening to the other side. 
Thanks. And Matt? I definitely agree with Julie that we do have to create space that is confidential, that people can feel free to openly discuss the issue. Uh, like I said earlier, we do have to approach with open open ears and open minds and empathy and definitely letting people finish their sentences and complete their thoughts is a good thing and being willing to engage with that and ask follow-up questions for clarification and, and and i do want to go back to something that you said earlier that maybe not in the immediate situation but over the course of time at least we have to maybe allow for the fact that our position may be incorrect or that you know allow this perspective to allow the understanding of the circumstance to change us in the way that it may that we we have to be open to the possibility of change you know again it's that's very circumstantial but so no but a, but a good point artist I think another thing we needed to do is set the tone. If the other facilitator and the person moving the conversations forward, if someone gets to spouting angrily or um, and others are talking softly because they don't want to offend people, I think you have to kind of set the tone that if the tones get too high or some get condescending or whatever, you have to stop that right away and, and insert your own um, voice and just make it sound uh, reasonable. And I think sometimes the facilitator can change the tone just by inserting a few comments and moving it forward. Wow, thank you, thank you. One great thing about working with this group is like their answers always segue into the next thing to share. Because another rule that we often put down in um, when we're talking about when we go to difficult topics, we will say something like, don't take whatever is said personally. And yet we are talking about one of the most personal topics that is there. So what can we do? What, what can we really do? Thinking that what we want to do, even if we use that rule, even in a brave space, is we want to do an artist, I thought you did very well on this, is the idea that we want to shift responsibility for the emotional impact of what a participant says or shares to the emotionally affected people. Okay, so in other words, what I'm saying there is be aware that these topics do affect people personally, but there are ways that we can shift that impact, doing some more listening, uh, paying attention to the tone of our voice so that we can calm a situation down. Because what we don't want to happen is people in their effort of not taking it personally will hide their real feelings. They won't talk about it because they'll think that people won't understand them. Or more to the point, remember now, they're not suddenly going to necessarily say, this is the bravest space I've ever been in. But if they see it happening to someone else, they're going to do the same thing. And we can walk away with being able to say we had a good conversation. But again, it got too emotional. 
So rather than shutting it down, maybe the thing we can do is use some of the skills that we're talking about here and moving people forward even when they're upset. So when we, we have these discussions, don't be afraid of raised voices. Don't be afraid of even tears. And don't be afraid of people who can't articulate something at that point. I'm glad you mentioned, uh, Matt, the issue of time. So here again, we want to move into a space where, yes, people do feel safe, realizing that we can't guarantee 100% safety. But what we can do is open up some doors in terms of the language that we use, in terms of what we promise them, and how, how we can open more doors. Also, don't forget that the people with whom we work, with whom we have these discussions, they're often the best resource for us. How would it make you feel? What do you think would help? So again, we're not throwing out ground rules. We're not throwing out the idea of safety, but we are moving it to a point where we are more open we are more reflective, and thus we will come closer to having the kinds of dialogue that we absolutely must have if we are going to shift, make those necessary shifts in our culture. So having said that, that ends my part of the presentation. Um, Chanel? Yes. Okay, we'd like to maybe do a little Q&A, and I need you folks to handle uh, identifying people who want to ask a question or share. So let's let's get started then. Uh, first up, we have somebody named Next Generation. You may unmute. Good morning. This is Amanda Selm. Good morning, <laughs> um, Amanda. I, I accidentally logged in under Next Gen because I was doing something on our account. So um, uh, an honest mistake here. I have a question, and I will welcome any of the panelists to answer it. Um, so, Pam, I love the discussion about um, and the dialogue about what we've been having this morning. So my question is, if, if we have people in our affiliate that have some real not re I'm, I'm not real issues with anxiety or, you know, uh, other mental health issues, but maybe to have those triggers. And I understand this is where we also go over into mental health, um, professional help. But what can an affiliate leader do to earn their trust to come back to um, an event after, um, you know, something kind of negative? has has happened and it's kind of put them in a um a bad spot mentally is there anything affiliate leaders could do to maybe promote um a positive a more positive experience is there something they need to be saying in the conversation thanks amanda panelist anyone who wants to take that one a few times I've had this happen in my affiliate. What I've done is, first of all, I call that person. It'd be easier to text or email, but you call that person and find out from their perspective what, what went wrong, what was the trigger, and I always ask what could we do to take care of that problem. Often at that point, they're not ready to come back, and then I start easing them into maybe putting a toe in and maybe getting involved in another committee or maybe getting involved in, you know, in some other way in our affiliate, just to ease them back in very slowly. I did have this happen. And I eased this person into a committee and now that person's involved again after being very hurt. So that's one thing you can do. Contact is essential though. Thank you. 
Okay, hello, my name is Greg, and um, also known as Triple G, and I would like to know, it seems like we're specifically talking about conversations related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, but as a committee chair, I'm just wondering, and as, as a board member as well, I'm just wondering, what do we do to weave conversations related to diversity, equity, and inclusion into our committees, into our affiliates, uh, have these tough conversations? How, how would you start with that? Thank you. Thank you. Our panelists? I think uh, one thing uh, we can do is when we notice that there's a, a different um, people in the room and we want to include them in the conversation is make sure we allow everyone to speak. Don't just assume that the leaders should be the only ones speaking, but make sure you give everybody the same opportunity to make their comments, uh, give questions, etc. that should make everybody feel comfortable no matter who is in the room. Thanks. And this is Pam. I would just add in that one of the things that is helpful is to, as opposed to always thinking about this as a kind of a separate discussion, that it's diversity, equity, and inclusion is how we do business. It's part of the framework of our organization. So it's not just something that we do as an aside or something for, for, for a few people, that it's everywhere and it's, it is for lack of better language, 100% inclusive. Thanks. I, I totally agree with that answer, but I, I do think it's important, um, especially when in this period of time when, when, when DEI still has a fair ways to go in this organization and in most organizations around this country, that we need to be um, cognizant and conscious of who we put on committees so that we do our best to have someone who we think will express those who express the equity, the, the DEI lenses. And if, and if nobody does, then the chair has the obligation to take it upon himself or herself to do it. Good point. Are there any more questions in the room? If not, we can go back to Zoom. Hi, thank you. This is the crowd from Olympia, Washington, and I really like everything that Pam said. I usually do. But one of the things about facilitating brave spaces is summarizing what people have said already to give a context for people, what people are saying. Because I agree with what was just said. If you don't bring it up, it should be in every part of our organization. And if you can't find people, then you look for people and, um, and diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, ethnic and racial diversity is very important for the organization, and even diversity of thought, diversity of age, and diversity of income as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, if we can go back to Zoom. First up, we have Peter, and I'll get somebody else in the queue. I, I just wanted to say a couple of, of things that hopefully will add more to the stew that we're cooking, if you if you will, <laughs> um, and, and just general comments from having done this work for 20 or 30 years. The first thing is there's no such thing 
as a safe space without a brave space or a brave space without a safe space. Mm. The two are in, in, they're connected. And if you don't remember that, you're going to run into all kinds of trouble. The next thing is um, all of these conversations take place on thought channel, as I call it, and a feelings channel. And if you ignore one of them, you're going to run into trouble. Um, the next thing I want to say is, uh, as a suggestion, is never, ever, 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 and I almost never say never, um, require people to take part in these conversations. Never. Uh, um, you know, uh, the research shows that if you force people to take part in these kinds of trainings, it will almost always backfire. So just don't do it. Even if you think these people, the people who don't show up need this training, you know, they're, you know, they're more likely to get resistant and, and cause more trouble than it's worth. Um, and the final thing is um, when you're having these conversations Remember the power of empathy and remember the power of common ground. When you, um, when I have done stuff, I've often tried to find that common ground between people, even though they seem to be saying different things. What are they saying that you, you can, you can connect together? Uh, it's a, um, and it, it, it's a really a skill that is really important. Um, so I'm going to shut up at this moment. I could say a lot more and have in the past. Um, but I hope that some of the stuff is of some value that we can pick up this conversation somewhere down the road. Yes, and thank you for your contribution. Thank you. And next up, we have Janine. Janine, you may unmute. Hi there. My name is Janine Hamas Pam. I um, want hey. to first say thank you so much for being our keynote speaker in Florida. And something you've said there has really stuck with me and I think really helps with this, um, when we were doing our leadership panel, uh, you said we need to listen to people. So you, when someone's talking and they're talking to you and you're talking to them, um, you should not be thinking of what you're going to say. You re- really need to take and listen to what they say and then form your opinion. So like take a pause after someone says something and then you can speak. So when you said that, that's really affected me over the past month. So I really thank you for that perspective because I think sometimes we forget that. Um, so thank you so much. Um, on this topic, I, I was really intrigued of going from safe spaces to brave spaces because I work a lot with DEI and different things in my community. Um, and what if you don't really feel safe in your space, but you try to be brave and push through it? Like, how do you make a, a space that's not so safe and, and be brave in that space? Thank you. Panelists? Could you repeat the question, Janine? Uh, As I understood, the question is, when you're not feeling so safe, how do you even get to that brave space? Yes. You know, I go back to what I said earlier, and one of the things for me is realizing I have a right to express my opinion, even though it's different than other people's, and that creates bravery. That's one way. Um, it doesn't, not every situation are you going to feel like you're the minority with your opinion, but having, realizing that, you know, you as, you have as much right to express your opinion as the other person, that does create bravery. The other thing for me is realizing how important it is to have that discussion and what you're going to miss if you don't. So that also helps me with bravery. Do we have more questions around? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep, I believe we're ready for two hands in the room. So uh, my question is, 
In order for me to understand what we've all today, someone please define for me all three words, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Please define them for me. Okay, well, diversity is you want a wide number of people uh, in the group of from different age groups, different ethnic um, backgrounds, and um, the perspectives. And as far as equity, you want to <clears throat> make the situation as equal for everyone in the room as possible. So equal time, um, equal ability to speak their mind, etc. And then inclusion, of course, is similar to, to both of the previous is that you include everyone, make sure that you don't forget anyone. Everyone is part of the project. So I, I do want to comment a little bit on equity. Um, sorry, equity, uh, basically the sort of the underpinning to the definition on equity is that there is for many groups, including people who are blind, a lot of institutional inequities. So that if you merely say, okay, we're going to treat you the same way as we're going to treat person down the street or whatever, there are still going to be inequities. So you have to look at the lens and determine how you can bring about that ultimate equality in, in society for a group such as black people. Thanks. Um, I want to apologize to the last person with their hand up, but we are getting very, very close. So um, I just want to thank all of the panelists who helped out, and I'd also like to turn it back over to Donna Brown for closing. Okay, I want to thank everyone for coming. There is a part two to this. It's kind of a, a continuation. We're going to have a different panel and a little bit different angle to the topic. Uh, anyway, so if you can, stay for the next part. Um, if not, hope you enjoy the rest of the convention and uh, thank you to all those on Zoom, and thank you, Pam, and everybody enjoy the rest of your convention. Thank you.